0: On to the Science Fiction. Story number one. Humans are a specialist species, and their specialty is all about explosives. Written by the Black Knight 123. Humans join the Galactic Confederation as a junior member, as history remembers in the Plastic Epoch, sponsored by the close geographic and political allies, the Uzor. The humans contributed to the GC in ways that outstripped their fledgling resource production and their population growth. That's not to say that they turned the GC on its head. That would be utterly ridiculous. No, humans are a specialist species, much like the insectoid Kaitani, With their natural affinity for planetoid mining, humans benefit the galaxy through their own unique nature. Human politicians are competent at bureaucracy, but hardly a shining light in the parliamentary floor. Their risk-tolerant mentalities make it painfully obvious as no human serviceman will ever rise above the ranks of GC mayor. They have no outstanding physical qualities that redeem them as shock troops or in the event of violence. What humans do have is far, far more capable and terrifying. The GC is no stranger to violent and warlike species. The parliamentary nature of the GC is a perfect political defense against aggressive cultures. And so, the GC remains a stabilizing force in the cosmos, giving all worlds, species and cultures a voice, pervasive contribution from all walks of life to build a better future for all. What this really means is a lot of nothing ever gets done. Nothing is greater motivator of political protectionism and threats to politicians. When a bureaucrat fears their life is in danger, somehow, someway, laws get passed in record time. It was the events of the Galactic Rotation 56 Plastic Epoch GC Session 30168 that highlighted the uniqueness of the human mentality. GC Session 30168 was in the midst of a day of respite. After several grueling sessions and point to counterpoint, the political dance amongst the stars, all representatives were taking a scheduled break to socialize and attend one of the many galas that were the main social event in the capital. The off-the-books deals that happened here helped the more involved species scrounge up political support on the bulls that were in the process of being voted upon. The music and ritual dance was a part of the multicultural species amalgamation in the biggest melting part of the galaxy. With every species having a permanent habitable zone on the massive space station, along with the associated support crew, staff, and security services, each species zone was small city unto itself. On this revolution, the human delegation was in attendance on the Treganian sector, along with several other member races, all posturing and positioning on the upcoming non-aggressive sanctions on the Treganian Empire. The Treganians had recently annexed several garden worlds of mixed population on the border that they shared with the Katani. Aggression between the GC members is expressly forbidden. The hot bill of the session was a series of economic detriments to discourage the Tregardians from pursuing this line of conflict. That was the intention until the message was received. Simultaneously, across the entire capital station, every message board, every tablet, every screen suddenly broadcast the same message. A masked face and altered voice yelled them out a message in GC standard. Attention, everyone on the capital. We are your reckoning. We, the parasitic wasps, reclaim every life lost during the Trigarian aggression. They took from us our worlds, and we will take from them their lives. The bomb will go off in two hours. Every non-Trigarian can leave the sector via the neutral zone. However, if a single genetic Trigarian does the same, we will blow the explosives instantly. Form an orderly evacuation, and everyone but the Tregonians will be spared. Veldas, and everyone in the sector will die. We will be watching. The message ended, and there was panic. Chaos and disorder at the Tregonian Gala, as different representatives scrambled for the exits, heading down into the streets, moving towards the neutral zone border. Massive crowds of hundreds of different species moved in waves towards the small diplomatic checkpoints at the neutral zone border. At first, they were overwhelmed, but soon the GC police showed up and began to organize the evacuation. However, any Dragonians found trying to leave the sector were turned back, at risk of slighting the faceless terrorists. As the evacuation proceeded, The human delegation reached out to the Draganians. I do not wish to be viewed as an ally to you or your aggressive species, Emperor. The human diplomat began. However, I cannot sit idly by and let innocent people die. I am sending my personal security team to assist in the bomb disposal process. I hope that together we can save lives tonight. Bomb disposal process? The Draganian Emperor growled. We dare not touch the thing and risk the early conclusion of the terror attack. I am loading my people into emergency shuttles, and when the sector is clear, we will just jettison from the station. The damage to the sector will be repairable, but the lives are not. I am happy for any help that you can send to speed the evacuation, but we have no military unit involved in any sort of bomb neutralization. You need not worry, Emperor. My people are the best." The human ambassador replied, terminating the communication. The bomb disposal unit, a team of ten humans, four diffusers, four support team, and two K-9 operators were the only Sophons to actively enter the Treganian sector that night. They were the only individuals involved in the bomb diffusal process. As the evacuation continued and the timer ticked down, the small human team did their work. Canine operators raced through the sector, finding and tagging a series of ten explosives spread throughout the sector. The diffusers, in their anti trauma gear, dutifully ripped open and tore into the bombs. The bomb clock ticked ever closer to zero, and the diffusing team moved from explosive to explosive, successfully rendering each device inert. Finally, they approached the last device. The shaped explosive charge pressed against the load support pillar of the Draganian underground. Tom was sweating. He had spent the better part of the last two hours sitting inches from death, listening to the words of his handler to cut in the wires, remove power sources, and reroute timers. He was the team lead, and he was proud of his fellow EOD. They had done a great job in a short time. As the team approached the final charge, he turned on his mic and said, "'All right, boys, I've got this one. "'The rest of you get back and I'm out of here, "'even in case this bug frickers catch on to us "'or decide not to play fair anymore. "'Get on back to the surface and the checkpoint. "'It's been an honor.' The final words said he opened his kit "'and got to work on the explosives. "'The steadily words from his handler coming through to him. "'The rest of the team withdrew to the checkpoint, "'anxiously waiting to see what happened to their sergeant. "'The clock ticked ever closer.' With sector evacuation at barely over 50%, there were bound to be casualties. He pressed on, hands shaking slightly as he grasped his snips, clipping a few specific wires, before pulling a battery out of the socket embedded in a large amount of low-energy explosives. To keep his nerves down, he chatted idly with his handler. It's like these bugs, or anyone else for that matter, never learned how to make real explosives. I'm staring at the equivalent of some plastic explosives from a hundred years ago. And everyone is scrambling like it's going to punch a hole through the station. He sliced the timer display from the body and the explosives and cut the final wire. Explosives inert, situation complete. He keyed into the bike. He checked his mission clock and watched the last three seconds count down. And boom. He said, silencing the alarm. Right on time. The transmission resumed on every screen in the sector. An awful, chittering poured from the speakers. Too late. The Targaryens are going to pay for the aggression. Goodbye. The mask bug lifted up a remote and pushed a large red button on its place. Nothing happened. The bug pressed it again. Nothing. The bug cursed and the transmission ended. A collective breath of panic was released. Oh, I knew it at the time. Not a single civilian was aware of a bomb disposal team that had worked its way beneath their feet, but they knew that they were alive and had survived the night. After careful review, the situation in a full parliamentary session, it became clear that the humans were the only species to ever an anti-entropic E.O.D. military unit. many of the aggressive species had eod teams but the answer to explosives was always evacuate the area and hit it with more explosives humans and the love of explosives ranging from recreational firecrackers to high energy conventional missiles were the only species to risk their own lives personally to prevent a detonation with their sacrifice and forefront of everyone's mind, the human delegation stepped forward to the bridge the gap between the Targaryens and the Qatari. In return for public execution of the parasitic wasps, the Targaryens ceded the worlds in question back to the neutral space. Human EOD teams became common on military bases across the galaxy. While training was offered to all species, it takes a special sort of crazy to willingly walk towards a bomber. That special sort of crazy. Belonged only to humans. End of story. Story number two. Humans are weird. Aurora. Written by Betty Adams. No one misunderstand me, Twistunder said. Carefully articulating each word, he was perched on a rock about the same size as a human friend's head, and the gold was seeping into his gripping appendages. He dearly looked forward to the time when their friendship advanced to a state that he could ask to actually sit on the blessedly warm head. It is not that I do not find the sky. Oh, that was a double negative. I do find it is doable positive better. The undulate sensed that this human companion was giving him a disapproving glare. At least to a thought of Byron was glaring at him. Byron's facial positioning clearly indicated displeasure, but it was always hard to tell which direction a human's bipedal form was indicating. Twistunder considered his options and remembered that they were off-duty. "'My apologies,' Twisunder said, reaching over to pat Byron's arm and gripping appendage. "'You are resting. I will stop asking questions.'" ''Questions are fine,'' Byron said, leaning back to rest his head on the arm and focusing on the northern sky. ''Just not about grammar. Why do you consider that particular part of the sky?'' Twist Thunder lifted both of its gripping appendages in what humans called air quotes and his people called intensifiers. ''More beautiful than any other.'' ''The Aurora Twist,'' Byron exclaimed, gesturing towards the north with one hand. Just look at it red, pink, blue, green, all the colours now. Twistunder focused as hard on his photoreceptors as he could, spreading his motile appendages to catch more of the heavenly light. After a moment his mass overwhelmed the gripping power of a few appendages that he had left gripping the cold, hard rock. He swayed and latched onto the rock again. I suppose the unusually organized pattern behavior is somewhat novel. Twistunder admitted, it is rare to see such a large effects other than due to solar winds. Vyrant frowned thoughtfully and twisted his head over to look at the undulate again. So we agree that the sky is beautiful, but you don't think that the aurora looks any more beautiful than the rest of the sky? Indeed, Twistunder said, making sure to shrug the appendages analogous to his shoulders. But we see color the same, right? Byron asked I mean you recognize black, white and the three main colors Correct Twistunder replied The greatly enjoy the dot charts your university shared with us But you think that the plain black and white is just as beautiful as all that color Byron asked Waving to the northern again Twistunder refocused on the night sky with mild confusion. The swirling atmospheric colors picked by the many-toned stars created the usual near-infinite color palette, that sense of divine depth that was washed out in the burning light of day stars. The night sky bleeds with every color of the coral, Twistunder quoted the old children's poem. Byron stared at him and a shocked look spread across his face closely followed by a look of giddy expectation. You see the night sky in all its colors, he asked. And you only see it as black and white, Twistunder replied, realization dawning. That is why the aurora phenomenon is valuable to you. The xenobiologists must have missed this somehow, Byron said with a grin. Well, our species did only meet recently, Twistunder replied. Hey, Byron said as he held up his hands to Twistunder, let us go back to the base and write this up. My contract says I get a bonus for new interspecies discoveries. To Twistunder's delight, the moment Byron's hands closed around him, the human gave an exclamation of displeasure. You're freezing, Twist. Here, hold on to my head. Under gripped and shaped surface with delight as they moved back towards the base. This was a fascinating discovery, really. If humans were blind to the colors of the night sky, that would cause a stir in several different disciplines, and if the discovery fell to the undulates, that would greatly increase their prestige at the university. He examined the glowing stripes that covered the back of the human's neck, with the photoreceptors on his gripping appendages. If the sense of color was so limited, could they even see their own bioluminescence? That might explain the seemingly random distribution of self-depiction pigment in the visual art. He resolved to ask Byron about it after the human completed his report. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below.